Good evening, church. Can you hear me well? Because I'm not used to this. <laughs> this is different. It is a privilege and a joy to share in God's word with you this evening. Such a privilege, and I mean that with all sincerity. This is a church that, is, um, that has blessed my family tremendously, and, uh, and I don't take it for granted. Our passage for the night is taken from Colossians 1, 24 to 29, and the title of this sermon is Life of a Faithful Servant. That's the life of a faithful servant. If you don't have a Bible with you, we want to just encourage you to raise a hand, and one of our ushers will be happy to put a Bible in your hands. You're going to need it. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to receive it as a gift from this church Uh, an encouragement to read and study God's word at home. You won't regret it. You won't regret it. Uh, Today's passage can be found on page 572 of those Bibles. As you find your way there, let me just take a moment uh, to pray. Lord, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all, and as we come under your word today, we know that it is to be desired as more precious than that of silver and gold, because it is true, it is objectively true in a world that preaches that there is no truth. Lord, we can rely on your word because it is secure. We can rely on your word because it is trustworthy, and as you speak to us today, Lord, As mentioned before, would you soften our hearts that we would hold fast to it with a good and honest heart today? That is only possible if you move in this place and if you touch our hearts. Burn in our hearts with conviction today for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A doctor, a lawyer, a little boy, and a priest. We're out for a Sunday afternoon flight on a small private plane when suddenly the plane developed engine trouble. And in spite of the best efforts of the pilot, the plane began to go down. So finally the pilot grabs a parachute and he yells to the passengers, we're going down, we're going down, grab a parachute. We've got to jump. And he himself grabs his parachute and he bails out. Now, unfortunately, there are only three parachutes remaining and four passengers left to jump. So the doctor grabbed the parachute and said, I'm a doctor. I save lives. Therefore, I must live. I must live. So he grabs a parachute, and he jumped out. Then the lawyer said, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers are the smartest people in the world. I deserve to live. I deserve to live. So he himself grabs a parachute and jumps. Then the priest looks at the little boy, and he says, Listen, young man, 
You've had, I've had, sorry, a full life. I've had a long and full life. You, however, you have your whole life ahead of you. So take this parachute and live in peace. The little boy looks to the priest. He gives him back the parachute and says, not to worry, father. The smartest man in the world just jumped off with my backpack. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit or an arrogant spirit goes before a fall. Loved ones, the truth is that just like the lawyer in this story, you and I are prone to selfishness and pride. We are prone to self-seeking and self-serving. We are self-absorbed and self-obsessed. This is the truth. We are faced with the ongoing temptation to deserve the priorities of self rather than the priorities of Christ. Wanting our own way and not God's way. Our own timing and not God's timing. Our own kingdom and not God's kingdom. This is what you and I are prone to. We'll see, I'll get to the priorities of Christ once I get the house, the dream car, or the raise I'm striving so hard to attain. Or maybe it's the spouse, the children. Maybe it's the degree, fill in the blank. What is it for you? And as a result, rather than living like soldiers of the Most High, we often live like civilians unaware of the war for our souls. Rather than living like people who are free in Christ, we often live like slaves to the passion of our flesh, excusing sin rather than killing it. Rather than living like beloved sons and daughters of the creator and sustainer of everything and everyone, get this, you and I often live as orphans without a good father. Today my prayer is that as we journey through this text that we would see what is so clearly conveyed is this, this is the big idea of the text, it is that to live faithfully as a servant of Christ you must be devoted to the priorities of Christ. That's to live faithfully as a servant of Christ, you and I must be devoted to the priorities of Christ. So my praise that we find encouragement in the life of Paul, a faithful servant, as we journey through this particular passage of his letter to the Colossian church. Are you ready? Colossians 1 24 to 29, Paul's ministry to the church. Would you stand with us to honor the authority of God's word as we read? Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, 
And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Hear the word of the Lord and the people of God say amen. Praise the Lord. You may take your seats. So Paul is writing this letter from Rome. He is in prison. And he's addressing a church he did not plant, nor has he ever met. The Colossian church at the time of this letter is being pressured with Gnosticism, which was a false teaching that distorted the true gospel and was deceiving many into believing that Jesus Christ alone was not enough for salvation. And even now, loved ones, we need to be on guard because this teaching is still very common in the church today. It's just repackaged a little different. But we ought to believe that it's Jesus Christ and him alone that we need. Amen? So, to confront this heresy, Paul preaches the centrality of Christ, unpacking his supremacy and sufficiency. He preaches Christ as the agent of creation, then the agent of recreation by the means of his reconciliation of all things by the blood of the cross. He then moves on to speak directly to the heart of the Colossian church, reminding them that they too were once enemies of God and have received the grace that they did not deserve, that they too were once included in the all things being reconciled to Christ by the blood of the cross. Simply put, Paul places Jesus at the center of it all. Here is no different. Paul shares with the Colossian church his personal philosophy for persevering as a servant of Christ on their behalf as the church of Christ. And the truth he's driving home is the big idea that I pointed out earlier. Is that to live faithfully as a servant of Christ, you must be devoted to the priorities of Christ. But firstly, what is a servant of Christ? You want to write this down. I've noted this for us as we continue through the text. A servant of Christ is one who submits to the authority of Christ and is entrusted with managing that which belongs to Christ in a way that brings honor to his name. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom For many, and all who believe and place their trust in him today, all true followers of Christ are called to a life of service. Service first and foremost to God and to his fellow man. 
First point we'll notice today, a faithful servant of Christ must be devoted to the priorities of Christ. Priority one that we see in this text, his proclamation, the gospel. Question, the proclamation of Christ is the faithful servant's priority. Is it yours? Is it mine? Paul is devoted to the proclamation of Christ. Whatever the cost, he is all in. And for Paul to be all in for Christ is to embrace a life of suffering for the sake of the church. In this, we get to see the heart of a faithful servant who faithfully proclaims the gospel. Firstly, we see that Paul's love for Christ supersedes his love for anything else. And the expression of his love is displayed in his joyful endurance as he faithfully proclaims the message of Christ. We see this in verse 24. See the text. It says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul says, for your sake. Firstly, he says, now I rejoice in my suffering. And then he says, for your sake. That is the church. Note here, when Paul says the church, he's not just referring to the church in Colossae, but he's referring to the universal church, the big C church, so to speak, all who are in the family of God. And what I love here is that Paul is in prison for the gospel. Paul is in prison writing to a people he has never met, yet he conveys such depth of love. That's so beautiful. Church, the depth of one's love is best measured by how much they are willing to sacrifice or how much they are willing to suffer for the one they love. Something, something you might not know about me is that, uh, that I cannot swim. I've tried. Maybe one day I will. I have faith that the Lord will help me. But to this day, Joel cannot swim. All right? And if you and I and my family are on a boat, in a river, an ocean, whatever the water, you name it, and one of my children end up going overboard, the Lord's going to have to transform me into Michael Phelps because before I can even think, I am diving into that water. Call it whatever you want. I say that's the power of true love. Amen? Power of true love. Note here when Paul says, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, the church. He is not in any way diminishing the finished work of the cross. Rather, he's pointing to the future persecution that the church is to face. Jesus, the head, has suffered on the cross. And now we, the church, his body, 
are to share in his suffering as we faithfully proclaim his message to the ends of the earth. This is what Paul is teaching us. And Paul is deeply convicted by this reality. Because prior to his conversion, Paul was committed to wipe out the faith. He was committed to wipe out Christians. And on the road to Damascus, seeking to do just that, Jesus himself met with Paul. And what did he say? Acts 9, 4, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is key for us to remember. When you and I suffer for the sake of Christ, loved ones, we do not suffer alone. Rather, we share in the sufferings of Christ. Think about this. Because of our union with Christ, when we are attacked, it is a direct attack on Christ himself. Note, he didn't say to Paul, why are you persecuting Stephen? Why are you persecuting the early church? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? This is key for us to remember. Paul knew this. And here Paul is sharing his eagerness to absorb as much of that persecution, as much of that suffering as he can on behalf of the church. Why? Because to be all in for Christ means that we are to joyfully endure suffering for the sake of the church. And loved ones, in case you're feeling a bit weary, anxious, fearful, consider this truth. Throughout history, the gospel has been the very catalyst for the advancement, sorry, persecution for the gospel has been the very catalyst for the advancement of the gospel. Where the church faced persecution, they also faced great multiplication. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that in the life of the apostles. We see that in the early church. We see that all throughout history. Why? Because Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will what? Not prevail against it. This is true, loved ones. This is true. When I was about 16, my brother, I won't give his name, but I'll give you a hint. He is leading us in worship this afternoon. <laughs> he introduced me to the Voice of the Martyrs, which is an international non-for-profit organization that seeks to protect and to provide a voice to persecution, persecuted Christians all around the world. And at the time on their website, you can find testimonials of the experience of these Christians. And I remember watching these videos as a young 16-year-old, and my heart was just filled with so much sorrow for their loss, so much grief for the lost families were being ripped apart, churches bombed and set on fire. Christians were being beaten and tortured in prison and enslaved. My heart was filled with so much sorrow. 
But yet in almost every testimony, in almost every testimony, these Christians shared the eternal hope that they had, the eternal comfort and joy that they found in their suffering in the presence of Christ. Richard Warmbrand, evangelical minister and founder of the Voice of the Martyrs, who also endured 14 years of imprisonment, noted this special quote that convicts me every time I read it. He says, there are those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. That there are those who sincerely believe in God and there are those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. As I examine my heart, as we examine our hearts before the Lord, loved ones, which one are you? Which one am I? When our faith is greatly tested, what fruit will we display? This is the question that we ought to consider as we continue moving through this text. Secondly, we see in verse 25 that Paul refers to his proclamation of the gospel as his stewardship appointed by God. Let's read the text, verse 25. It says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul refers to the gospel as his stewardship. And the word steward here represents a chief administrator or CEO role, a servant entrusted with the responsibility of overseeing the entire household, a role of prominence that answers directly to the master and to him alone. And today, all who believe and place their trust in Jesus Christ are appointed with the same appointment, with the same entrustment by God. How many of us recognize that? That the call to proclaim the gospel is our entrustment appointed by God. That he entrusts you and I to faithfully proclaim his message. Get this, you and I have been appointed to be heralds of the king who will reign forever. He will reign forever, amen? Love that, what an honor. So we see that Paul joyfully endures suffering as he faithfully proclaims the gospel as his stewardship. Thirdly, we see from verses 26 to 27 that Paul's priority is the gospel. As we read from verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's priority is the glory of Christ. The mystery hidden for ages that even angels could not fathom. As we see in 1 Peter 1, 12, 
Not even the angels could fathom this grace. In one sense, it is a mystery for the Jew that the Gentile would be included in God's gift of salvation. That Christ would break down the dividing wall of hostility, making them one in his name. Yes, this is a mystery to the Jew, but the greatest mystery, loved ones, the greatest mystery is Jesus Christ himself. The hope of glory, living in all who call on his name. Jesus is the mystery hidden for ages and generations that is now revealed to the saints. It is the person and works of Jesus Christ, the power, the provision, and the promise we have in him, a grace that no being but God can fully fathom. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. All of the attributes of God are on perfect display in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who stepped down into time to be born as a baby, to become like us in every respect, tempted like we are, and yet he did not sin once. Mocked and scorned, beaten beyond recognition, his hands and feet were nailed to the cross, pierced in the side to confirm his death. The most horrific and humiliating punishment of his time, get this, he suffered with joy, dying the death we deserve. The death we deserved. And raised on the third day, proving that he was God. And through his salvation, all who turn away from their sin, all who believe and place their trust in him, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the seal of our salvation. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in all who call on his name. He is the very fulfillment of every longing, of every soul in this room and in the world altogether. He is peace in the midst of chaos. He is strength in the midst of our weakness. Loved ones, he is joy in the midst of our suffering. And because he has gone before us, because he will never leave nor forsake us, we can look forward to a life of faithful service in his grace. He is everything you and I will ever need. Loved ones, this is the sufficiency of Christ. This is the sufficiency of Christ. And if you're here and you have not believed and placed your trust in Jesus, my prayer is that today would be the day. What I'm saying is look no further. That today would be the day that you would receive eternal hope that can be found in Jesus Christ and him alone. It is not a coincidence that you are here. The God who created the heavens and the earth who declares the end from the beginning has allowed that you would walk through those doors, loved ones. We invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. He is tremendously good. Gospel, 
proclamation of Christ? Is a faithful servant's priority? Is it yours? Is it mine? If you are saved in Jesus Christ, are you asking the Lord each day for the opportunity to declare the gospel with those around you? In your home, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your workplace, on vacation? Are you asking that of the Lord? And then boldly stepping into those opportunities he brings to you. Listen, you don't need to be an apologist. You don't need to have it all together. You just need to move. You just need to go. The Lord will fill your lips with what you need to say. He is able. As we look back on our weeks, does this reveal that the proclamation of Christ is our priority? If not, remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'll say that again. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we are entrusted with a gospel proclamation. So go forth. The harvest is plentiful. Don't be afraid. Our Lord is with you. A faithful servant of Christ must be devoted to the proclamation of Christ, the gospel. Following, we see that a faithful servant of Christ must be devoted to Christ's purpose for his church, the maturation of the saints. The faithful servant's priority is the maturity of the church. Is it yours? I'll ask that again. The faithful servant's priority is the maturity of the church. Is it yours? Is it mine? Paul further expresses his goal for suffering, proclaiming and laboring for the gospel. He teaches and warns the word of God, sorry, making the word of God fully known through the gospel so that the church would be presented mature in Christ. Let's read from verse 28 to 29. It says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Here we see that the gospel isn't just for salvation, but it's also for sanctification. That we need the gospel for saving faith. And we also need the gospel to convict us of our daily need for Jesus and the continual saving work that is applied by the Holy Spirit who reveals and reminds us of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on the cross. Why? That we may increase in faith and therefore become more like Christ. Loved ones, the work is to believe so that we may become. Here we also see that a faithful servant cannot, this is important, a faithful servant cannot be devoted to Christ and neglect his church. His pure and spotless bride, whom he died for, and whom he is preparing for his return. Often we don't treat the church as the precious bride of Christ. Rather, we often treat the church like we're consumers. And it's some piggy bank that we can just take from and put back whenever we please. 
other ones may not be so. We don't want to be found on the opposing side of Christ. To be mature in Christ is to be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope we have in the person and works of Jesus Christ. And why does Jesus want a mature church? Why? Why does he want a mature church? Paul emphasizes this clearly in Ephesians 4.14. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It is that we would not live as those who are lost and walking in darkness. We would not live as a people who are harassed and helpless without a good shepherd. Rather, that in his strength, we would live holding fast to what is true, eagerly awaiting the return of our perfect Savior, the highest reward. And did you get that? The very stability of the church is at stake. This is why maturation has to be each of our priorities, not the elders, not the, not the staff, not the leaders in, in different capacity, but each and every one of us individually and corporately. This has to be our priority. Look again at verse 29. It says, for this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. That he powerfully works within me. Paul expresses that his faith doesn't just happen by chance. That he doesn't just drift into faithful servanthood. But that, it, that he toils and struggles with hard, intentional, agonizing work in the flesh. And that it is all of Christ's energy, that's key, all of Christ's energy that he powerfully works in Paul to accomplish this purpose. It's not a percentage of Paul and a percentage of Christ. It's not a God helps those who help themselves philosophy. It's all of Christ, all of his energy that he powerfully works in him. And why? Get this, because we cannot grow into the image of Christ without the power of Christ. We cannot grow into the image of Christ without the power of Christ. Now, one might ask, why? Why should it take toiling and struggling? Why can't we just enjoy our grace-filled salvation and not work so hard to fight sin? After all, aren't we justified by faith apart from works? Glad you asked. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27. You'll see it on the screen. He notes, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Would you say that with me? All things. All things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. There's precision in his training. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Another translation might say, I beat my body into submission. Whew. Paul correlates his toiling and agonizing work in the flesh to that of the disciplined training of an athlete. He expresses that he doesn't just drift into faithful service, but that it takes hard labor. This is true. That is Christ's power that makes this possible, not our own. Jesus himself says in Matthew 24, 11 to 29, this is important. He says, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Amen? What's at stake here, beloved, is the highest reward. It's eternal life with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And can I just quickly add here that Jesus will not fail to prepare and to perfect his bride, that he will not fail to sanctify his church. Rather, those who do not make it to the end will then only prove that they were never his to begin with. For Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So loved ones, say this not to condemn, but to convict us. There is work to do, but we do it in the strength of Jesus Christ. Imagine this rope goes on forever. I know it's pretty short. Imagine that it goes on forever. And it represents the timeline of our existence, of your existence. And this green part represents our time here on earth. And what is mind-blowing and very convicting is that you and I are often obsessed with this part of our existence. This is where our obsession lies. Striving in anxious toil also that we can get the dream car, the house, the vacation, the financial independence, so that we can send the kids to a good university or college, so that we can retire well, loved ones, all good things. But the truth is, we do this not even knowing if we have tomorrow. A faithful servant's priority is the maturity of the church. Is it yours? Is it mine? Paul says, I want to keep my eyes on the prize of the upward call of God. I want to live in this age on mission for the age that is eternal with Christ. The greatest mission on earth. Amen? The greatest mission 
on earth. Church, may this be the purpose for which we toil. May this be the purpose for which we toil to make disciples of all nations. Amen? Amen. Paul's philosophy for ministry is not to be for ours alone, but it is to be, or for him alone, but it is to be ours as well as we seek to be faithful servants. And a maturing faithful servant seeks the increasing maturity of the church. Jesus said that we are to love one another as he loved us. And how did he do that? By laying down his life. For those of us that might mistaken this for legalism, I have one question for us to consider. Have we forgotten our first love? Have we forgotten our first love? Paul notes in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 that it is the love of Christ that compels him. Christ's love for Paul propels his love for Christ. And consequently, his love for those around him. It is the power of Christ that fills us to live on mission for him. We don't pursue faithful service to Christ in order to gain favor or blessing. Rather, we pursue it as ones who have received his favor and blessing. In other words, loved ones, we do it because he loved us first. This is not legalism. This is the power of true love on display. And this is what Paul's addressing. He's noting that whether it's Allah, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Krishna or the Gnostic, it all leads from disillusionment to disappointment and eventually to eternal destruction. So this is not legalism, loved ones. It's the power of true love on display. The big idea, to live faithfully as a servant of Christ, you must be devoted to the priorities of Christ. Priority one, his proclamation, the gospel, and priority two, his purpose for his church and maturation of the saints. And as we close, how would the Lord have you sacrifice, labor, or even suffer as you faithfully proclaim his message to the ends of the earth in his strength for his glory? How would the Lord have you labor, suffer, and sacrifice as you seek his purpose for his church, the maturation of the saints? Loved ones, we all have the opportunities. The question is, will we depend on Jesus Christ for the strength that we need to walk in obedience? And as we close, some quotes that you might recognize. But let it ring all the more true. Listen, God is not looking for your what? Ability. Uh, But he's looking for your availability. He's not asking from you what he's not already prepared to do in and through you. If we knew what he knows, we would want what he wants. Amen? Amen. Late Timothy Keller put it this way. He said, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew what he knows. A life of a faithful servant is a life of fulfillment. It's a life of worship. And as we pursue the glory of Christ, we are pursuing our greatest good. This is the purpose for which we were created. 
So remember this, loved ones, because Christ has gone before us and will never leave nor forsake us. We can look forward to a life of faithful service in his grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you. For you alone have the words of life. We know that we have no good apart from you. No good apart from you. You are our strength. You are our peace. You are our hope. And Lord, we know that if we seek this life of faithful service in our strength, that we will have missed you. The greatest reward. And we also know that if we neglect this call to faithful service, that again, we will have missed you. The greatest reward. So Lord, we ask right now as we sing this song, that we give you praise and honor, not just with our lips, but with our hearts. For you are worthy of it all. I pray this in Jesus' name.